You are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, we are exploring how that relationship gets worked out in real life with one of the current Sinai and Synapses fellows. Sinai and Synapses is a two-year fellowship committed to elevating the discourse surrounding religion and science, and where the five of us first met. So, without further ado... Our guest today is a licensed psychologist and ordained clergy person. As a womanist psychologist of religion, she seeks to support the psychological, spiritual, and physical well-being of all people. She was a guest earlier this year in episode 97, which you should definitely listen to after this conversation because you're going to want to hear much more from her. Welcome back to the podcast, Reverend Dr. Vicki Gaskin-Butler. Thank you. So glad to be back. Yeah, well, we were just talking before I hit record that the episode that you were on, episode 97, aired January 22nd or something along those lines. But we recorded that episode at the end of last year. You had not yet applied to Sinai and Synapses, right? If if I remember, we were the ones that convinced you to do it. Yes. <laughs> I applied. I applied after after that interview. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Ian that was like, you need to do it. This program was made for you. <laughs> well, when I was talking with you and listening to you, I thought, oh, yeah, this I should do this. I really should. Then I yeah. thought, I don't have time. I don't have time. But I did it. <laughs> mm, you did it. And how's it been? It's been really great. Um, the, the kind of people that come and speak with us have provided lots of food for thought and challenges as well. And the fellows, the fellows, both my cohort and previous fellows, I'm still in awe <laughs> of, <laughs> of all of them, honestly. Sometimes I think, yeah, this is the thing for me. And then I'm thinking, how did they get me, put me in this group, <laughs> in the room with all these people? <laughs> I mean, That's my line. <laughs> I'm like, what? Me? <laughs> no, surely you belong here. That's how I feel all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's been great um, getting, getting to know everyone. The challenge for me has been I haven't been able to attend physically in person. And so I'm excited that tomorrow will be my first time going in person and I'll be actually sitting in the room with uh, my cohort members. Oh, that is such a wonderful experience. When, When you gather together with these people and those of you who have listened to previous podcasts, you have heard us talk to these people. They're incredible. And there's just an energy in the room. Um, uh, Jeff always says that the, the major qualifications to be a fellow in Sinai, Sinai and Synapses is that you need to be curious and kind. Yes. And that combination of human is just the best combination, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Curious yeah. and kind. And yeah, Curious George's favorite uh, child children's <laughs> book series for me. So <laughs> that fits <laughs> the curious part. And uh one of my motto is be kind. One of my motto is not original. Be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. <laughs> I just saw that quote the other day. Do you know who said that? Gandhi. Ah, uh, 
Because I was thinking of the Mr. Rogers quote that the three keys to success are be kind, be kind, and be kind. Ah. Um, the patron saint of kindness. Yes. Uh, but anyway, we had you on early, mm-hmm. late last year, and it was mm-hmm. an incredible interview that could have gone about 17 hours. At the time, <laughs> you were transitioning out of Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. Your husband had just accepted the position as uh, dean. Is he the, mm-hmm. the dean, dean of, of College of Education at UNC Charlotte? <laughs> that's right. He's Ian's boss. And yeah. <laughs> Oh, so uh, you you were just figuring out moving details, and you had big plans for the for what's coming up next in your life. Um, catch us up. Uh, what have you been working on in the past year, almost? Wow, I just I'm still in awe that that was. Oh wow! Almost year. a year ago. Yes, yes, yes. So let's see. First thing, I'll say I moved twice now because I moved. Oof here in December, moved to Charlotte. And then uh, in September, I moved, we we leased a house and then I moved to this home where we bought a home, uh, which I think, I literally thank God that we found a home. <laughs> in this <laughs> in market? Woo. In this market and Hallelujah. we didn't overpay for it and all of that. Mm. I'm really grateful. Uh, so moved twice. And in the midst of that, I um, started out doing some work here. Um, I'm trying to see what can I say that I did? Okay, I can say this. <laughs> you know, psychologist <laughs> confidentiality is always like, what can I say? So I started out working at um, USC Charlotte Caps for six months. I did. Uh, basically a staff psychologist role um, because when you're in a new state, you can't practice as a psychologist until you get a license. So uh, basically I'm supervised and I, as an mm-hmm. applicant, I could practice psychology, but only under the supervision of another psychologist. So for mm-hmm. six months, I did that. And then after six months, then I started doing some consulting work. Uh, And that's what I'm still doing now, consulting as a psychologist, which is wonderful for me because I like systems and looking at systems and how they function and trying to help systems function better with Mm -hmm. the humans that comprise the system. And uh, so I've been doing that since July. Yeah, since July. Hmm. And also, somewhere in there, I started working on this book. It was supposed to be called Healing the Human Spirit, like my podcast that I say is on hiatus right now (laughs) because Mm. I've been moving too much and doing too much and I haven't had time to get my um, podcast uh, episodes uploaded, but I'll get back to that. Uh, but oh, our so listeners understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been out of commission for all summer. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot. So I'm hoping to get back to that soon and get someone to work with me on editing because I'm very good at talking and listening to people. And I'm not very good at editing because it takes me forever. And I think I need to find an expert who can do that for me. 
<laughs> so, um, but anyway, <laughs> so I get the book, uh, started talking with an editor earlier this year and I had that goal of I write this book in four months, but not with my life. I can't write a book in four months. Mm. So then I said, okay, give me six. Now by the end of the year, hopefully I told her by January one, I'll hopefully finish. But we moved from healing the human spirit to walking with God. And it was because of a story I told her about an incident in my life where I literally took a walk um, and it, it, and this is part of going to be in the book. So it, and it's okay if people know this and maybe they'll want to read it. But I told her a story about, about when I knew my mother was going to die and I was in Orlando and she was in St. Petersburg and I knew this was coming and I got up one morning and I took a walk. Like that's, I felt like I'm compelled to get up and take a walk this morning. Mm. And I had been walking for exercise, but this was different because the, the typical me would have been like, get up, get your stuff together, get out, of, get out of the house, get out of town. But that morning I got up and it was like, okay, take a walk. And I told my husband, I said, okay, I'm going to take a walk. And then when I come back, I'm going to St. Pete, you know, take it, look at, take care take care of my mom and deal with my family and stuff. And so um, during that walk, I had such a heartfelt conversation with God during that walk. I walked, I talked, I cried, I listened, all of that. And, And then I went to St. Pete because during that walk, it just, for me, I felt, okay, God, this is the biggest challenge in my life, right? Ever. And here we go. I got to get ready for this and I've got to do stuff. Like I'm the one, even though I'm I'm the youngest child, but I'm the one. (laughs) My mom always would joke about, she says, if anything happens to me, call Vicky. My husband, she was like, your dad, your daddy, your brother, they got to go to be ready for, just call Vicky. She'll take care of things. And I just laugh and I said, oh, mom, I would say, don't say that. But I kind of, I knew what she was saying. So anyway, during that walk, it was kind of like, okay, listen, there are things you're going to have to do. You've never been, you've never had to do before. Um, And just know that you can do this. Because mm. of who my mom was, she prepared me to do these things. And um, after that walk, I got my head clear enough. And then I went and did what I had to do, talking with doctors and nurses and all those people, the whole cast and and my, my family and that kind of thing. So that walk gave me strength to do what I had to do. And after I mm. told the editor that story... She was like, oh, well, that's what the book is about. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. So Hmm. here we are a few months later working on Walking with God. And I'm taking a series of walks that um, will help in some way. I, I hope, my hope is that it will help people to crystallize for me, how 
psychology and religion work together hmm. in terms of our health and well-being. Okay. Because walking it, yeah, it's good exercise, but it also helps your brain function better. And hmm. so I hope to try to tease that out in the book. So I definitely want to dig deeper into into that. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned earlier that you are writing Walking with God by mm-hmm. literally walking, yes. right? Yes, I, I literally get up when I take my walks. And sometimes the chapter that I'm working on will already be in my head. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to write about, um, one of the chapters is about fear, fear, stress, anxiety. They're kind of on that continuum. So for that one, it was funny. <laughs> that, that was actually pretty easy to write, which I thought was going to be hard, but it was easy because hmm. that was the space I was in. So uh, I literally take my phone with me and I walk. I state the name of the chapter and I just walk and see what comes to mind related to it. And so if I don't have a chapter in mind, like that one came pretty easily, then I look at my list of chapters and I say, okay, this is the chapter we're going to write today. And so hmm. I start, I start with the, t- the chapter title and then we go with it and see what comes up during the walk. I have talked to a lot of guests about mm-hmm. their process of book writing mm-hmm. and Several of them have shared with me how frustrated they get in front of a computer screen that they sit down with a keyboard and an empty, empty screen. And the pressure of the emptiness is overwhelming to them. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the feeling that you need to put the perfect words on the paper is overwhelming. Some people can get over that and they can just Mm -hmm. spew stuff out and fix it later. But some of us are, I don't know if it's some kind of, attention issue or a perfectionism issue or self-esteem issue, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. it's just sitting in front of that computer. It just does not work. But I am fascinated by this idea that you can get out and walk. So you're getting your body moving and distracted mm-hmm. and clear your mind enough that you can speak this book into existence. That seems so much lower stakes than mm-hmm. that sitting in front of a keyboard is. I imagine you must feel so free in those. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is in terms of the process, you're exactly right. Cause I have a lot of chapters that I've dictated and then sitting at the desk and trying to go through the, the going through the process of editing and all that. After I look at the transcripts, that's harder, but I have to say it's easier though, having dictated it. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> One of my friends told me a long time ago, he's, he says, he says, in Tennessee, we'd say, you talk good. <laughs> <laughs> and so I laugh every time I'm walking and writing because I'm just talking because that does come easily. Yeah. I talk a lot. People who know me know me. I talk a lot. <laughs> um, and so that is easier, but it is freeing. And I have to say, my editor is the best. Her name is Stephanie Gunning. And she said, she said, I give you permission to just write the worst first chapter ever. Just go ahead and get it out the way. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I, when she said that, I said, oh. I mean, it was just, you know, I took a deep <laughs> breath like, 
okay. I really don't yeah. have to be perfect at this. She said, yeah, yeah, just get out of the way. Just write whatever comes up. And nine times out of 10, it's not going to be as bad as you think anyway. But mm-hmm. write it, get it out of the way, and then we'll, you know, keep moving. And so that actually has helped a lot too. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I love it. So all of you out there who are, I don't know, clergy or professors or professional talkers of some way, shape or form, like just get out there and talk and let the transcription do the work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, that you're really interested in the ways that psychology and religion uh, dance together, the ways they work together. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by that? So... Um, I, I think, and I have uh, even a little bit more insight on this now <laughs> than I had before. Uh, I think that in my lifetime, I've never known psychology and religion to be separate. And mm. so for me, it's hard to think of them as separate things. Mm. And I know people do. And I know why. I, I understand that because they are two different ways of knowing in some ways, right? Uh, So I get that. I also don't view them as being in competition with each other either. And I think some people do. I can't say a lot, but some people do view them that way. So for me, I have to say this, two things. When I was in seminary, I learned that Had my dad finished all of his higher education, he would have had a master's of divinity and a degree in clinical psychology. That's what I actually have. (laughs) So I grew up with this dude who was pretty much a psychologist. Yeah. (laughs) And didn't know it. (laughs) And my mom, had she finished her degree, would have been a child psychologist. Okay. Oh, wow. Both of your parents were psychologists. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, the amount of active listening in that house must have been unbearable. (laughs) So, yeah, it's like if if both of them had finished their degrees, that's what they would have been. And I think they they learned enough that they were that anyway. Right. So. um, So here I am. Of course, I didn't know. I never thought any different because of how. I was reared as a child and that was part and parcel to be in. I was in a church Mm. every day of my life. They tell stories about people. They were, I was at choir rehearsal with my parents and I was a baby and they just passed me around during choir rehearsal. So of course that's why I sing too, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the, that part of my formative years, just being able to think about things like my dad would say, when I was young, think with your your head and your heart. Mm. Um, And, you know, in psychology, we talk about taking into consideration your emotions and your rational mind, right? Those kinds of things. And then in church, for me, I, I really, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. For me, the Holy Spirit 
was and is um, manifests itself to me psychologically in some ways. Some ways is beyond psychology. And I think I learned that during seminary, which was interesting because seminary is a time where it's kind of tough <laughs> to, to figure out and really figure out what do I believe? That was hard for oh, me. That's sort the point of, of seminary. That. Exactly. Ooh, and it was, it took me for a loop, right? Mm-hmm. As most seminarians, right? Um, so I learned, so growing up, I felt like, okay, Holy Spirit speaks to me, um, guides me, helps me make good decisions and that kind of thing. And helps people to be better people, be better humans, you know, treat each other right, love each other, those kinds of things. And then I went to seminary and I I told one of my, my professors that in systematic theology, I said, now... I'm learning that the Holy Spirit can be pretty intellectual. <laughs> hmm. And for me, because I separated intellect in a way, some ways, and I it was systematic theology. So, of course, yeah. who is God? What is God? All that, you know, all those questions in systematic theology. And I, I remember saying, wow, this, this, I love this. I love being in seminary. I loved even the challenging things I learned and heard and all of that, mm. I loved all of it because it helped me grow uh, to be a better person and to really um, be a better psychologist. Mm. <laughs> it always comes back to that. Um, yeah, be a better psychologist, be better at um, being non judgmental paying attention to the needs of people, paying attention to how I respond in order to better attend to the needs of people. Hmm. I love to hear that the spirit makes you less judgmental because my experience, the religion, the Christian religion has made people more judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, especially in the climate in which we live in, I, I think it's just, there's a lot going on and a lot of people being more judgmental when what we really need is less judgment and more love and kindness towards mm. each other, no matter what our beliefs are, because we're all humans on this same planet together. And I think it might help if we tried harder at that piece, the kind of uh, piece. Do you think some kind of rudimentary understanding of psychology would help us to be better practitioners of our faith? Hmm. Okay. So the quick answer is yes. Uh. (laughs) Because I think everybody needs to have some basic understanding of psychology. (laughs) Um, Of course you do. You're a psychologist. That's right. I've got to say that. So, but I, I do, I do. Um, I, I, so this is a thing I used to say to my husband. He's in education, of course. And I would say to him, you know, teachers need lots of like psychology courses, but they need a whole lot of everything, right? They're mm. social workers, they're psychologists, they're nurses, sometimes they're doctors. <laughs> they're a lot of things, right? And I thought about that. 
It's, but it's too much, right? It's too much because they're really supposed to be there to teach children content so they can mm. learn, you know, those things. The psychology piece, though, I think it would be helpful for more people, if not all people, to have some basic understanding of what it means to be a human being. Mm. And I think that might help us to, to better understand what unites us rather than what separates us. Um because we're all pretty much the same. Any differences between us is that's biology, but any differences between us are on like one little chromosome. Hmm. Yeah. But learning about human behavior, why we do what we do, um, learning how to, I'm a big family systems kind of person. So thinking about, who we are as individuals and how we operate in systems, how we connect with other people and allowing other people to be who they are and trying to understand what makes them tick and why they do what they do. Um, Mm. That would bring about, I think, better understanding between folks. Yeah. First time I studied family systems in seminary, Mm. it was like, a big eye-opening experience is suddenly it was like, oh, I, now I understand how my family works. Yes. Oh, that's why we never talk about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why when that person shows up, this, ha- you know, you, you do those sorts of uh, geneograms and mm-hmm. you, you, you map out the relationships between things. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it to be so helpful. And I started thinking about my my congregation in those similar terms of... Bingo. Right? And <laughs> yes. found it to be just practically helpful. Mm-hmm. Because then I would be like, oh, you're mad about this, but that's not what you're really mad about, is it? There's mm-hmm. there's another thing underneath of that that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of us who didn't go to seminary, mm-hmm. uh, what's your kind of uh, five, ten minute explanation about what family system's all about? Uh, let's see. That's a good question. How do I put that? So I would say family systems, in the simplest terms, is understanding how people in a family work, work, period. Whether that's together, apart, separate, with each other, against each other, (laughs) don't work. (laughs) How families function. How about that? (laughs) And so family systems really looks at the roles individual members in the family play and how that impacts the whole system. And I want to add real quick, one of my favorite classes in seminary, all of them were my favorite, but one of them, (laughs) one of my favorites was church administration. And and only because the professor used a church administration book that used family systems theory. Mm. Oh, I was so excited. I loved it. I was like, whoa, this is my language. (laughs) (laughs) It was so exciting though. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, He did. And he did a lot of great things. He did a lot of spiritual things. So he took church administration that could have been very dry and, you know, Mm -hmm. and he, personalized it so we realized we were dealing with people and not just an entity the church but looking at the church as a family system so we literally labeled 
people in our congregations based on family systems theory. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sure that works. Mm -hmm. I I think the most helpful mental picture for me Mm -hmm. is to think about any system Mm -hmm. like a child's mobile, like that hangs above a a crib, Mm -hmm. that everyone is connected to everyone, Mm -hmm. either directly or indirectly. And when Mm -hmm. there's anxiety in the system, when one shakes Mm -hmm. or gets moved or whatever, it affects the whole thing. That's right. Differently, you know, they might move left or right or up or down or whatever it may be, but they all are affected in some way, shape or form. And 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 then as they move, they produce their own anxiety and they might be reacting to their immediate anxiety, but it's caused indirectly by the first anxiety, the first move, you know, and then COVID hits and we all have anxiety at the same exact time. And the world is one giant system that is falling apart for yes. uh, a number of months and years afterwards. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I like that. I like the mobile. Yeah. Yeah. Like wind chimes, but uh, wind chimes only make music when they slam together. So maybe some conflict's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. 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 Because it's stuff that can be worked through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't actually work through the real problems until there's an, there's some kind of, anxiety or Mm -hmm. uh, trauma crisis. That's what usually uncovers the thing we've all been avoiding and then we have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So if you had unlimited funding Mm -hmm. and you could design one experiment, Mm -hmm. what, what do you think you would do? Let's dream for a second. An experiment? Yeah, we want to figure out humans and why they do what they do. What are you interested in figuring out? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I think this is controversial. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, this is uh, the, this is the clip that we'll put on social media. <laughs> um, why is so important for some people to separate themselves from others instead hmm. of? connecting and Mm. when I say that separate I mean it's the whole um idea the idea in which the way we live I guess um somebody's got to be better than someone else in order to be great and I don't necessarily think that's the case I think that we can all be great. Um, hmm. So I would want to figure out why that's so important. I mean, ultimately, I think we already know these answers, but I, I would want to, I don't know how to do the experiment though, yeah. but that's the question I want to answer. Yeah. Why is that so important? Why um, is that so important? Mm-hmm. I'm interested too in that the, the sorts of questions we think we know the answers to. This is we think yeah. they make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our previous guests talked about the tyranny of common sense that yeah. it so often blinds us to the actual truth that's mm-hmm. that's deeper. Mm-hmm. But why do people crave separation and distinction? Yeah. I don't know. My gut says it comes back to our fear of death and insignificance, but. Mm. 
I draw most of what our motivations are back to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I can see that. Yes. What's your intuition say? I think that's part of it. Now, are people consciously aware of that? Nah. <laughs> That's the piece. I don't think people are consciously aware that that's what's going on. But yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think it's also we just don't question. And we've been taught that this is the way to do it. You have to distinguish yourself. You have to be better than blah, blah. And so people think that's, oh, that's the way we should do this thing. And I don't think so. so. That would then be an interesting way to frame the study, would be to put this on multiple continents, um, because mm-hmm. I would imagine in a society, in like Chinese society, where <laughs> and there's a, where there's a, a Japanese proverb that says that the uh, the nail that is higher than others is the first one to get hit. Exactly. You know, you don't want to stand out. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But here it's like. Ah, well, you're just one of the crowd. You're not living up to your full American dream potential. You have to be great. Everyone must be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that individualistic hmm. society versus what you just talked about. Collectivist societies don't operate in the same way. If I'm great in a collectivist society, if I'm great, my family's great. My hmm. community's great. But in our society, if I'm great, I'm great. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who cares about my family? It's all about me. I'm great. Zach the Great. Zach the Great. That's my name. Though I I will say there are very few people who are both great and good. It seems like you need to pick one or the other. Yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? Oh, wow. But... My religion calls me to be good and not great. But Exactly. Hmm. And if you're going to be great at something, be great at being loving and kind, right? Helping hmm. folks. That's that's the greatness that I think. At least that's what my religion tells me. That's yeah. if you want to be great, be great at those things. And and nobody has to know. Like that doesn't mean you have to be famous. It just means <laughs> be great at loving and caring for others. That hmm. whole love your neighbor as yourself thing, like really, that's, be great at that. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if we can go uh, back a little bit to okay. the, uh, to my introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, just rewind 30 minutes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> um, you are uh, self-described as a, um, a womanist psychologist, a psychologist of religion. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked a lot about being a psychologist of religion. I think most folks mm-hmm. know psychology and religion. Um, I think maybe fewer of our audience understands what, is womanism and what makes it distinguishes it from, from other theological thought traditions. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe you could expand that and explain that a little bit for us and the ways that that discipline expands 
outward to to uh, all of us. Okay. So uh, I'm kind of old school in terms of how I was taught about womanism. I learned mm. from uh, read some of the works of some of the people who were the original womanist thinkers and and um, theologians and and womanist scholars because they uh, go across a lot of, of um, disciplines. But one of the things they said, I learned earlier, they, they took it from Alice Walker and they mm. said, womanist is to feminist as purple is to lavender. And so interestingly enough, the theologians took that term, womanism, um, theologians and other disciplines in yeah. the seminary disciplines took mm. that phrase and started to think about how do we live our lives and respond to God's word as black women and um, how do we practice ministry how do we preach how do we read the bible how do we interpret the Bible? How do we live um, Mm. in that intersection between race, class, and gender? And the one of the primary beliefs is that if we live our true callings at the intersection of race, class, and gender, then whatever we do will expand to help all people, because those are three things that affect all people. And so for me, what that looks like is all the different things I do. Um, Mm. My writing, um, preaching, teaching, everything I do, um, all that stuff I told you about, podcast, all that. Yeah. Um, and, and I say it, it, cause people think that you've done so many things that doesn't fit. And I said, but every day I get up, every day I wake up, I am who I am. Mm-hmm. I am a black woman. I'm an African-American woman living in the U S in this context. And so every day I deal with things related to race, class, and gender, And every day I am a Christian too. And so when I'm teaching, I am guided by not just the content that I have to teach, but I'm guided by how does God want me to show up in this space, whatever space I'm in. When I'm consulting, Mm. how does God want me to show up in this Mm. space? And help people in ways that will cause them to be um, not just uplifted. I'm trying to find the right words that would help them to become more of who they are, Hmm. um, the best versions of themselves. And so for me, I do that no matter what setting I'm in. Um, my friends, 
I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm the same person all the time. Sometimes I might get on people's nerves. I do. So I want us all work. to. I want to be the best version of myself, and I want others to be the best version of themselves as well. Yeah. And for me, living in that intersection as a womanist um, psychologist, it, that's why I do everything. I hope that that made sense. Yeah. Well, when you draw a distinction to the that intersectional way of living, mm-hmm. that being aware of how your race, class, and gender inform. Mm-hmm. how you move through the world and how you interpret the world mm-hmm. um, has such profound implications for somebody like me, mm-hmm. who's a white middle-class cis male. Like I move through the world in a way that I assume is normative because I've been told it's normative and I'm not aware of my race, class, and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm missing so much of how I move through the world and how I'm perceived in the mm-hmm. world because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a, uh, a a YouTube video of a woman who decided that she was going to walk through New York, but she wasn't going to get out of the way of any men. Mm-hmm. And she was going to let <laughs> them get out of the way. And uh-huh. she bumped into like hundreds of men. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't think any man on the street sees a woman and he's like, I'm not going to move. Mm-hmm. I'm better than her. But like, it is just so ingrained in our mind that of course somebody else is going to change their way in order to, to accommodate me. Mm-hmm. Cause we haven't, we haven't thought deeply mm-hmm. about how we've internalized these messages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found womanism to be so enlightening for me personally mm-hmm. that I am, I'm just so grateful for all the work out there. I think so too. I, I remember having like a, a brief aha moment in seminary. I was like, there's a name for this? <laughs> because I just thought, I just thought this is just how I grew up. I, mm. I didn't know there was a name for it. Like, I just remember thinking about some of the things I learned and heard listening to my mom and her sisters, sister-in-laws, you know, my dad's sisters and and extended family friends and listening to people in that generation and how they talked about living as a Black woman and more how they modeled it for me, especially mm. my mom. And I thought, oh, so I've been a womanist all this time. I just didn't know it. <laughs> Thanks, mom. One more thing. Thanks, yeah. mom. <laughs> I didn't know I needed a term for this. I thought I it was just being know. alive. <laughs> I didn't even know it. <laughs> oh. Well, all of you who are pastors out there who are f- trying to figure out what you're going to do in the coming months, uh, Will Gaffney has put together a woman, uh, a, a she called it a woman's lectionary for the whole church that lectionary. Oh, Oh, so she did. So the lectionary for those of you who don't know is a three year cycle of readings for the church that every Sunday you're going to get the same thing, depending on, you know, what year and, and what day it is. And that's set by some, people somewhere in, in an office somewhere. And so on her, her first sabbatical, she set out to make a year W because uh, we have year A, B, and C. So she yeah. made a year W for year mm-hmm. of women that centers the story of women throughout scripture and tells the stories of women throughout the, the church year. And 
it's incredible. And she just made a a women's year A, and so she's going to do the three year cycle. Um, Oh, wow. It's all original uh, translations as well that really deconstruct some of the really hurtful language that's in there and some of the translations. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. And now that uh, my wife and I have our own church that we started and we don't have to run these things by any committees, we that is what we're using <laughs> starting, <laughs> starting in uh, uh, Advent because that's the beginning of the year. Super excited. Yes. It's also yes. good. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting! Okay, I'm right? Y'all should give her your that. give her your money. Yes. she's she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Vicky, we are nearing the end of our time together, mm-hmm. um, and I have a question that I've asked every fellow so far, mm-hmm. and I'd love to get your input on. Mm-hmm. Um, simple question, real easy. Take your time. But what do you wish that everyone knew about the world? Like, if you could put some learning or thought in every person's mind in the world right now, such such that everyone understood this one thing, what would it be? Hmm. I don't know that that's easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. That's a joke. <laughs> to know. So let me talk with these fellows and see oh. how they thought it was so easy. Um, no, and I can edit out as much silence. As I need. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so honestly, it goes back to people. And I think that's, you know, the zone I live in. Think about people and why we do what we do every day. So I would say that The world is filled with good people. Hmm. Um, and if we if we if we could concentrate on that, you know, that there are more good people in the world than not. Hmm. Um there are more good stories in the world about people doing wonderful things to help each other to show and demonstrate to me God's love. There's more of that in the world than anything else. And Mm. um, if we could focus on that, I think we'd all be in much better shape. Well, you are definitely one of those good people. And thank thank you you for taking the time to be with us for a second time and for all the work that you're doing and the, I mean, all the work you're doing, you're doing so much. Um, I just pray for strength and steadfastness and all that you have to do. Cause I feel Thank like you. you've got, you've got a message that, that people need to hear. And so I'm excited to read your book and whenever your podcast gets started again and whatever foundation you're going to start or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I said that to my husband last night. I said, we need to start a foundation. I got to figure this out. It's like, okay. <laughs> You're in the be middle one of, those... of getting this TV network. I really got to get this done. Oh, 2020 TV network. It's almost team. over. I, I got to get it done. I need like three of me. If I had three of me, oh. I could get this all done. 
Oh, Vicky, you are you are trying to be that like very small percentage of people that can be both great and good, and I am here for it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh. I appreciate your faith in me, and I appreciate your encouragement as well. <laughs>